Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert with bleeding tragic taste in men, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar Noelle Croix, and I've been thinking about that last spell we did all day. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Goodbye, Iowa, the 14th episode of season four. Goodbye, Iowa aired on February 15th, 2000, and was written by Marty Noxon with Doug Petrie as story editor. This episode was directed by David Solomon. None of which makes any sense because this episode is kind of clunky and does not reflect the quality and beauty and grace that we expect of Marty Knox and Doug Petrie and David Solomon. Uh, I want to know what the hell Everybody happened. Everybody has an off day from time yeah. to I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? This is the kind of stuff we talk about on this podcast because we are fully spoiled. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you're spoiler sensitive, maybe, I don't know, watch the entire thing over a long weekend with <laughs> popcorn and I don't know. You do you. <laughs> but just know that we could talk about anything at any time. We probably won't, but, you know, brace yourselves Every now and anyway. again we do, though. Every now Every and again now we, and again we go like... up and we, like, pull in Angel and then we spoil something from, you know, the we'll comic like spoil books a movie. Or whatever. And then, yeah, and then The Sixth Sense. Like, we literally could spoil <laughs> anything at any time. <laughs> Oh my God! Bruce Willis was dead at the end of uh, the whole still, time. I haven't. I, I'm still. I need a moment. Okay. <laughs> I feel an attack of dumb blonde coming on. So, let's go on patrol. In Goodbye Iowa, Buffy reports into the Scoobies about Professor Walsh setting her up. While they try to figure out what Walsh was up to, her Franken-pet Adam steps out into the sunlight, ready to start some shit up. Buffy decides they need to weapon up and hide until they know what's going on. Riley busts into Giles' place without knocking and then demands to know what's going on. Giles suggests that the initiative may have some darker purposes, and Riley wigs out. That's not what happens there. Riley. I would know. Look, no one is sure of anything, okay? Well, we're just trying to sort it out. I can't be here. I'll sort it out on my own. Riley. No. Just, I'm sorry. Out in the woods, Frank and Adam comes upon a little kid, and sure, that's absolutely going to end well. Dr. Who's-its, I mean, I'm sure he has a name, it's just that nobody cares, comes into the room 314 and finds Walsh skewered and Adam gone. So, not a banner day for Who's-its. In Xander's basement, Giles tries to sleep on a beach ball while everyone else watches cartoons in bed. Buffy worries about Riley, Anya defends her possessions, a.k.a. Xander, and then said possession comes downstairs and has them switch on the news. A little boy's body was found skewered and mutilated. Buffy figures Walsh sent the Polgara demon after her. I'm going to the crime scene to see what I can find out. You guys research the Polgara demon. I want to know where it is. When I find it, I'm going to make him pay for taking that kid's life. I'll make him die in ways he can't even imagine. That probably would have sounded more commanding if I wasn't wearing my yummy sushi pajamas. Riley goes back to his room and tells Forrest that Walsh tried to kill Buffy. And Forrest says that that's totes okay because Buffy's a pain in the ass. Why does it bug you so much that I'm hanging with her? Is it because she's a better soldier than you? No, Riley, that's not why. Forrest suggests that maybe Buffy is the bad guy here. But they're interrupted when Graham comes in with the news that Walsh is dead. Forrest accuses Buffy of killing Walsh, and they fight. Hey guys, make love, not war. 
Dr. Husitz tells them that the team is coming in to investigate, and Riley decides it's time to take action. Engelman can talk all he wants, but I'm still in charge till the brass gets here and tells me otherwise. I say we've got a demon to hunt. Now suit up for armed patrol, and by that I mean loaded guns, men. Target practice is over. All for blood. Buffy goes to the scene of the kid's murder and bumps into Riley there. She tries to make peace, and he tells her that Walsh is dead and asks if she's happy now. She vows to go after the Pulgara demon and kill it. Willow goes to Tara's room and says she doesn't come over just for sex. I mean spells. That she really likes talking to Tara and hanging out. But she wants to have sex. I mean, do a spell. To find demonic energy. At Willie's, Buffy's just about to get some information out of Willie when Riley busts in. Shaking and sweating and acting all, well, Riley. A patron tries to get out while the getting's good, but Riley pulls a gun on her. Hey. We got new rules here. No killing. Right. Except the rules don't seem to apply much these days, do they? Like if I shot you right now. I don't know if I'd have a corpse on my hands or one pissed off vampire. Riley. I mean, who do you believe? First it sounds like lies, then it sounds like truth. Buffy gets Riley to put the gun down, then brings him back to Xander's and gets him to lie down. At Tara's, Willow and Tara try the spell to find demonic energy, but Tara sneakily sabotages the spell. We'll revisit that in about a year. Buffy takes Xander with her to break into the initiative. She dresses in a lab coat and he wears commando gear. When some commandos come by, he tries to make out with Buffy to throw them off the scent. This is the initiative, Xander. Military guys and scientists do not make out with each other. Well, maybe that's what's wrong with the world. Ever think about that? At Giles's, Willow, Anya, and Giles wonder whether the thing rampaging through Sunnydale is actually a Polgara demon. The M.O. is not consistent. Riley wakes up, finds out that Buffy went to the initiative to find out what's making Riley sick, and decides he needs to go after Buffy. Willow tries to stop him, and he pushes her to the floor and runs. Meanwhile, at the initiative, Buffy and Xander overhear Dr. Hoositz taking an exposition dump in the middle of the hallway. I don't want to think about the damage our guys could do under the stress of withdrawal, especially since they won't understand what's happening to them. These guys don't know they've been getting meds through their food, so we better get them in here stat. Buffy follows Dr. Hoositz into his secret lab and just gets warmed up threatening him when a woozy and sweaty Riley shows up. Buffy continues to threaten Hoositz until he tells her about 314, calling it The Project. Riley gets his big, burly arms involved, pulling Buffy aside and accusing her of killing Walsh and trying to tarnish her memory. As they fight, Frank and Adam drops a dead body at their feet and proceeds to take an exposition dump as well. I'm a kinematically redundant biomechanical demonoid designed by Maggie Walsh. She called me Adam and I called her mother. He calls Riley a brother because they were both made by Maggie Walsh or something. Riley tries to kill Frank and Adam, and then there's a big fight, and Frank and Adam skewers Dr. Hoositz. There's only room enough for one exposition dumper in this town! As commandos bust into the room, Frank and Adam escapes, and they run after him. Riley collapses, and the commandos take him away, sending Buffy and Xander away. At the university, Buffy and Willow talk. Buffy's worried about Riley. She doesn't know where he is, and everything he's ever believed in has been taken away. He has nothing to hold on to. Cross dissolved to the military hospital while Riley holds on to the bandana Buffy wrapped around his injured hand. So, okay. All right. So, Noel, here we are in Goodbye, Iowa. Man, this is not a great episode. <laughs> it's, it, no, it's really, really not. It's really not. I, I, 
I really, really, really want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Like, I have these moments. I have these moments in my notes where I'm like, oh, this could be, like, deeply symbolic. But then it's not. It's just, like, or maybe it is, but it is so clunky within the context of this story where... We, the audience, know what's going on, but the characters have no idea. So we yes, just kind of have a little to, dramatic irony. Mm-hmm. We just have to sit there, and it's like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. But really, we have to watch you talk about what this could possibly be when we've known for exactly at least a couple episodes what's going on. It's <laughs> I don't like it. I don't care for we've it. Ha- we've had so much exposition dumping, though. There's Maggie who's just talking to herself all the time because I, I mean, in soap opera blocking too, where like she's facing the camera and then the other parts, like the person she's talking to, is actually behind her, and like this whole th- it's just. <laughs> It's it's been it's been gradually like we've been getting little pieces of bad all together, but this is like a big bad sandwich in the middle of a bad pita wrap with bad <laughs> lettuce. And it's a bad metaphor, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's just it's all of it. Everything in this is bad, with a couple of of like you know a couple of exceptions, a couple of moments where things are okay. I'm a, I'm a fan of the yummy sushi pajamas, but. Generally in this episode, it's just like it. I don't know. Like I've watched this episode a number of times. I don't think I've ever liked it. But this time I was like, oh God, really? Like can we just I don't care about Riley and his night sweats. Like I just don't care. So anyway, I one of the things that I love about working with you, Noel, is that you do have this ability to kind of like see these deeper resonant levels of meaning. And I would love for you to open the episode giving us like Whatever you were able to scrape out of this show. <laughs> something about something about the choice of the word scrape, I'm picturing like like dentist tools. Right. I'm just like, oh, like, oh come on. Come on. Like <laughs> all right. There are there are things in this episode that I think have potential uh-huh. question mark to uh-huh. be like an interesting bit of symbolism or commentary on the world Mm -hmm. of the show or something. And I don't know. I'm just going to get right into it. Um, So Adam's interaction with the boy in the woods, which Mm -hmm. is actually, I think is actually fine in terms of being kind of a, you know, like a creepy, oh shit, this is where, like, we all know where this is going kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That scene with Adam and the boy is immediately followed by Dr. Hoositz or Dr. Creepy, as I've been calling him. And, and and just for everybody out there yelling. Yeah, we know his name is Dr. Engelman. We just don't care. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just don't, yeah. He's, I mean, <laughs> whatever. Yes. He goes into the lab. He slips in a pool of Maggie's blood and ends up lying there with Maggie's blood literally on his hands. I know, but the thing is that, like, when we look at her body, there's, like, this little trail of blood coming out from her that just stops. But then there's enough for him to slip in and then press his hands into it so perfectly that his all of his palms and his fingers are perfectly covered in blood. I, okay, I'm I sorry, mean, go ahead. I, it's, just, it's a I, stupid I, criticism, but it's just, like... <laughs> it doesn't work for you. It's fine. Like, it's, it's just, a great... Yeah. It's a great idea for a visual especially if we're trying to suggest that the initiative is its own downfall like this is all Mm -hmm. this is 
I mean, it really is mm-hmm. all their fault. Yes. And then, of course, you know, Buffy's going to attempt to blame herself later. And Willow's like, mm-hmm. no, girl, like, come right. on, seriously. <laughs> like, stop it right now. I'm just going to exactly. nip that in the bud. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I like I kind of like the idea of, you know, the mad scientists killed by their own creation or whatever the fuck. But mm-hmm. You know, so we have this like little moment that doesn't work for you because you're like, oh, really? Like you, you're Buffy watching the Roadrunner. You're like, that would never happen. (laughs) Exactly. And the thing is that like, you know, for for film and TV, and I've talked about this a few times, it's not supposed to be what it is. It's supposed to be how it feels. Right. Um, But there also has to be like you have to develop, you have to build up a certain amount of like believability energy. You know, like believability collateral Mm -hmm. in order Mm -hmm. to spend on something like that. You know, like I like the idea that he has literal blood on his hands. And I think that that's great, except for he is like literally the person that matters least to any of this. He's not the one. Walsh was the one who like did this whole thing. He was her second in command. He was just doing what he was told, you know. So like how much of this is actually Doctor Who's its fault? Like, you know, I mean, he was there for it. He didn't stop it. But also, like, you know, whatever. But he like, was just doing what he was told. Like, yeah, the person with blood but- on their hands should be the person who, like, has a conscience and suddenly realizes, what have I done? Like, the blood on the hands is the what have I done moment. But this is not a what have I done moment. This is a what the fuck did Adam do moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, for him. So... So that's, I think, part of the reason, like, like I, I would, I really like appreciate that symbolism, that visual, if it was in a context that made more sense or where I had more of an emotional connection. But this guy has just been Maggie's number two, and I didn't even feel that emotionally connected to Maggie, you know, because she has no vulnerability <laughs> until she was skewered through the heart. So, with the exception of her weird sexual mommy thing with Riley. So uh, weird. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a vulnerability that I really feel like a lot of empathy for because it's weird and creepy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's a, it's a swing and a miss, I think, for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, not only do you have to build up believability, you know, you have to have believability in the bank. You yeah. also have to have you have to have a an established style yeah yeah <laughs> of you know like heavy handedness with your symbolism for mm-hmm. example right. um and a lot of the stuff that i pull in this episode is that kind of like it's not what it is it's how it feels kind right. of mm-hmm. kind of symbolism but we haven't been doing a ton of that on right the show mm-hmm. we've done some of it but not yeah. like Okay, like this is this is my favorite and also probably the most glaring example of something that in a different show or in a diff or in a movie or something could be really deeply symbolic and here it just looks like a mistake. Right. Mm-hmm. We see Adam and the boy that that little scene where Adam says, you know, what, what are you I? or what, oh, yeah. what am I? Right. You know, that whole thing. We're clearly in a little forest clearing sort of space. Mm-hmm. We can see a playground in the background. Right. This is, you know, this is clearly like this kid has gone out into the woods near civilization, but, mm-hmm. you know, far enough away that he can get skewered and, and uh, right. opened up and examined mm-hmm. uh, without anybody noticing right away. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that takes place in the woods. But then when Buffy goes to visit the crime scene, 
We're clearly yeah. in the desert. <laughs> like clearly right. in the desert. And yeah. then of course she has that that conversation with Riley about, you know, mm-hmm. what all this is and what's going on and I like the visual contrast that we've got Adam's search for identity in this mm-hmm. like lush forest, you know, there's greenery and growth and Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Like he's new. He's sure. green. He's right. trying to literally be of born nature. Yesterday. He's also sure. literally yes. And he's also literally green. Yes. You know? Yes, like yes. he's literally green because literally green. Uh, why? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um But then when Buffy and Riley are talking about all of this death and Riley doesn't know what's real anymore, we're in the desert where it's dry and nothing is like there is no new growth. Mm-hmm. We're, so, you know, like it's right. a desert. You know, Riley is feeling literally deserted because sure. mm-hmm. nothing he knows mm-hmm. to be true is actually true at yeah. this point. Um, but it just looks like a mistake. Like <laughs> I'm right. reading all yeah. of this, you know, I'm reading all of this symbolism into it, but it doesn't. It doesn't track because that's not the kind of show this is. Mm-hmm. Like I could see, I could see someone making a film or a television show, and I'm sure someone has, where the scenery changes in accordance with to the, the emotional landscape. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. The literal landscape changes to yes. reflect the emotional landscape. Mm-hmm. That would be rad, and I would love that. Yeah, but well, that, you're going to get a ton of that in Restless, you know, but that's also dream imagery. But that's dream know? imagery. Right. And, mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me started on dream imagery and how, like, <laughs> half the time it works really, really beautifully and half the uh-huh. time it's like, what? Like, because you, yeah. you can't, the thing that makes dreams work, I mean, this is my, this is my philosophy now. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes dreams work in our own lives is that they are not necessarily something that we would create. Mm-hmm. I know there is lucid dreaming and people do, you know, all kinds right. of like mm-hmm. guided meditation dreaming and all of these things. But generally speaking, I think for most people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it was a tennis court, but it looked like a tennis court, <laughs> but it was my parents' house. Right. But, exactly. And like, and you're trying to explain the dream to someone and you're like, OK, this made sense in the dream. We had right, to rescue, exactly. you know, you know, whatever. And dreams are, are have that random shit in it, too. Like the guy with the cheese on his head and restless, which I know somebody is going to be like, that's not random. That's a you know, that <laughs> represents the dairy industry. I don't know. Um, <laughs> whatever it represents. We'll get to that when we get to restless. So, you know, and as everybody knows, I hate dream sequences and I get a load of shit for hating dream sequences. But the reason why I do is the same reason I don't like voiceover. I don't like flashbacks. I don't like, um, you know, fractured teases, because often when writers go to these kinds of devices, they do it because of insecurity as as a writer they do it because they want to you know in the case of flashback or voiceover they have some desperately needed exposition this is so important that my viewer knows this and they can't find a more elegant way to do it um you know with the fractured tease they're insecure about whether it's interesting enough so they steal a part of the more interesting part of the story at the climax and then put it in the beginning and then go 36 hours earlier like they're just it's just cheap devices i hate that so much i know i hate, I hate it too i hate 
hate it too. I there hate- are times, though, I will say I will defend the fractured teases in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is my go-to example for a well-done fractured tease. And shout out Vince Gilligan for this shit, because until then, I had none. But if Breaking <laughs> Bad does it, not borrowing from the most interesting, the most exciting part, but rather from the most thematic part, the thing that speaks to what this episode means. And I absolutely fucking love it in Breaking Bad. So anybody looking for an example of it, well done. So all that said, um, I don't hate all dream sequences. They're not Muppets to me. Like, I hate all Muppets, right? <laughs> except except Angel and Smile Time. Um, I hate all Muppets, right? But I don't hate all of these devices. I think there's a time and a place for the devices. Um, but generally, dream sequences are the ones that, that writers go to when they want to feel or seem profound without actually having to earn it. Because you put a bunch of random stuff in and you're like, oh, no, that has deep symbolism. And if you don't understand, then clearly there's something wrong with you and your ability to deal with the abstract and fuck off. Like, it's just that. <laughs> you have to earn it. Like, you have to earn that shit you have to really dig deep and find that that resonant thread of meaning and I will say as much as I don't like I don't enjoy restless because I have that response to dream sequences I think there is stuff in restless that does do that you know that does actually earn you know all of that abstraction all of that symbolism right and when we get there I trust you to be my guide (laughs) to get me through that space so that I can see it without being just incredibly irritated. So Um, like no pressure. Right, no pressure. Exactly. It's fine. Oh, no. It's fine. Oh, no. Oh, you are beyond all... up to the task. I know you're going to change my mind about Restless. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Restless peaks really early for me with Willow painting Sappho on yeah. Tara's no, back. See, that's but, you know. pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's yeah. we'll talk about. But the, this isn't the episode for Restless, but we really don't want to talk about Goodbye Iowa. So anyway, well, all that yeah. said, Noel, bring us back to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know this is this is our like Riley Riley's moment of right clarity through complete confusion episode mm-hmm. and I'm just like I mean speaking of stuff you have to earn like mm-hmm. Riley hasn't we haven't had that much yeah. with Riley yeah so far I mean he's just yeah. kind of like big and cute and pretty and his arms are nice and like he's a soldier <laughs> boy and that's all great <laughs> But yeah. now we've got to turn the tables on him and like make him this deeply, you know, troubled yeah. kind of symbolic figure. The way he's yeah. like, I don't know what's real, and he's you know following Buffy, and he's paranoid, and he doesn't know what's mm-hmm. what to do, and he's at odds with literally everybody. Like he put he he is physical with mm-hmm. everybody with. Um, forest and he pushes willow out of the way and he Uh grabs buffy and he's just like i'm i'm like wait a minute we haven't we i mean it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint but we haven't built up the emotional resonance with that so when we when we do this thing with riley you know scratching his right hand and Mm -hmm. you know the one, you know, Buffy wrapping his right hand when he literally doesn't know what's right when the sense of what's right is coming mm-hmm. apart for him. Yeah. Um, you know, and this idea that the right side is good and the left side is evil and mm-hmm. many of my favorite people are left-handed. I don't believe in that. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> very antiquated idea at all. Exactly. South Pauls, we see you and love you. It's fine. <laughs> it shows up 
in, you know, it's one of those symbols that shows up in our fiction mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, his sense of what it, his sense of what is right, of his ability to do the right thing mm-hmm. is breaking down. So that's the hand, that's the side of his body, the side of his identity that's injured. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it would be this like, I could see that that last shot of him with the bandana being a powerful symbol if we had built up more of an arc for Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like they're trying. <laughs> no, they really, they're trying. It, it's, they're trying, but we just keep missing with Riley. And I, you know, and I'm not sure what it is that's he, he's just I think it's it comes down to, you know, a a well-constructed character is a combination of strengths, weaknesses and vulnerabilities, right? And Riley is pretty much all strengths. Like, he's number one on the team. He's the one that Maggie Walsh loves the most. He's the favorite son. He's good looking. He's, you know, successful and smart and all of these things. And then his weaknesses are... Uh, he's terrible with yeah. women. Um, yeah. You know, so there's there's that. But, like, but as far as vulnerability, as far as, like, seeing what it is that really makes him tick. We get none of that. And then all of a sudden we get all of it along with his being in withdrawal, which is causing him to act erratically and constantly go to his power, right? His power is in his physicality and his bulk. You know, he grabs everybody in this episode and throws them around and then pulls a gun, you know, um, on some lady You know, like he is constantly grabbing for his power when we've seen him with all of these strengths, you know, like he's just Mr. Perfect cleft chin guy um, and very little vulnerability. (laughs) And now his vulnerability actually doesn't seem to be an emotional vulnerability, but a physical vulnerability, right? He's behaving this way because he's in withdrawal from having been poisoned through his food or drugged, I guess. But um, <laughs> but I mean, like all of that, like even this sense of vulnerability, this I don't know what's right. I don't know what to believe in, um, you know, his whole world crashing down around him. And he's still it's still kind of outside of that, like deeply personal space. I mean, when Spike came in as the big bad in season two we saw his love for drusilla and that vulnerability was right there drusilla was sick and he was heartbroken and trying to fix her and trying to help her so even while he was evil we had access to that vulnerability that made us love him you know vulnerability is absolutely the key to building a really strong, engaging character. And also knowing how to do vulnerability too, like that it's real vulnerability, but we don't seem to be interested in giving Riley any real vulnerability. You know, even how much he likes Buffy is just, you know, he likes her. And then what? He immediately gets her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he has has a few bad moments with cheese, but overall, <laughs> like he gets her because arms and because floppy hair or whatever, you know. Um, so with him, we don't get vulnerability at all, you know, really in the beginning. And then now we have all this vulnerability, but it's it's coming from withdrawal symptoms and being physically drugged. It still doesn't seem to get close enough to the bone. There was the moment last week when he thought that Buffy was dead and we see 
you know, like some real vulnerability. And that is honestly like the the only moment so far where I felt emotionally connected to Riley. And in this episode, which is supposed to have him at his most vulnerable, he's still it's still it's it's drugged vulnerability. It's withdrawal vulnerability. It's not actual real vulnerability. I think we're going to get that a little bit later in the in the season, you know, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so at this point, you're like, I don't I don't care. Take him away yeah. to a military hospital and, and he can just go and I won't miss him. You know, yeah. goodbye, Iowa. Bye, Iowa. <laughs> And then Buffy can date Graham and I can be very happy. <gasps> oh, Graham. Can we have a moment in Graham? Can we just yes, take a take yes. a pause and have a moment in Graham? Because Can we talk is... about Graham's very good sweater? I know oh. we talk about the significance of clothing. Right. The significance of that sweater, that like oatmeal knit sweater. Uh, I'm like, yes, Graham. He is that sweet. is a that is a cozy sweater. When he comes in to deliver the news that Maggie Walsh is dead. And like, he's so, okay. Uh, I think his name is, I think the actor's name is Bailey Chase, I want to say. And I may be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I know everybody's yelling at me right now. It's okay. I'll look it up later. It's fine. Um, But he's so, like, there is just this innate sweetness in him. And while Forrest and Riley are always fighting and bickering, you can always see, I always look to Graham. Whenever Graham's face can be seen on screen while Forrest is being a little bitch, right? You know, Um, he's so sweet and he's so patient and he's so cute. But, like, when he comes in, he delivers those lines about Walsh being dead. I'm like, oh, God, you're the sweetest thing in the world. And I adore you, but you're really not acting right now. Like, this is not good. Like, I don't believe any of this. Um, but he's so sweet, though. And I just like my whole heart. Like, he he warms my heart the second he comes on screen. Every single time there is something just delightful and sweet about him that I love. I think it's that he's that he's that friend who's just not going to engage in any of his friends. Like, he's no drama. Yeah, yeah, like your friends are having a conflict and they try to drag mm-hmm. you in and you're just like, nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm not. No, you're being ridiculous. Right. I love you both. You're being ridiculous. I'm not going to have this but conversation with But he's like that. He's you. like, no judgment. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. like, no judgment. I'm not judging Riley. I'm not judging Forrest. I am not yeah. making a comment about how badly Forrest wants to be in bed with Riley. I'm not saying a word about any of it. I'm just going to sit here, know all and smile. He's so sweet. In front of the balls poster, which makes me laugh every time I see it. Balls. Just balls. Could we possibly get more manly than that? I love love that poster. I love that a production designer chose that poster. You know what this man cave needs? Balls. Balls. That's what it means. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We are in a manly man-man dorm room now. Right. Because balls. Because of balls. There you go. Love it. Love it. <laughs> now your moment in symbolism. Well, yes. moving from the boys to the girls, mm-hmm. Willow and Tara. Man, we're hitting that symbolism hard. Hello, we're hard. spells. It's Hello, so cute. Spells. To the, we're going to summon the god. Goddess Thespia. You know, as a really, I love Tara saying, Are we ready for that? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we ready to come out as active thespians? Thespians? Is this, yes. Yeah, worshippers, we, we follow the teachings of Thespia and everything uh-huh. she represents. And this is what makes us thespians. Yeah. Right? This is this is a this is a scene about thespianism. And I'm just I 
can't. I'm sorry. I, they're so cute and oh they're my so God, I, know. I mean acute and and kind of clueless yeah that's kind of there's but it's so sweet though and tara oh, is so sweet and like tara is so sweet that sometimes i'm like oh honey i just want to wrap you in bubble wrap because the world is not going to be kind to you like it's going to be really like, hard how she's so how did she survive this long i don't did... know Without getting I, bitter or jaded or anything? Like, I don't know. What is she, yeah. like, 19? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> At that point, you should be totally bitter and jaded. But she's just incredibly sweet. And also, like, when, when Willow comes by and Willow's like, well, I hope you know I'm not just using you for sex. And she's just like, no, it's fine. Just come on in. Um, it's just... <laughs> just it's use so me for sweet. sex. It's just, fine. You can use me for sex all you want, you know? It's so sweet. But, like, I just want to... I feel like I want to protect Tara because I'm like, oh, baby, you're going to get hurt. You know, even without yeah. spoilers for the show, just in this moment before I knew anything that was going to happen. Yeah. I was like, oh, honey, you know. She's um, just yeah. an exposed nerve. She's she so... really is. But there's such bravery. Like, there is an incredible... I mean, we're talking about no vulnerability in Riley at all. Like, Tara has absolute vulnerability everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's expressed so well by Amber Benson, you know, in her performance. Um, but I just, like, Tara is... She's the anti-Riley. I'm just realizing this now. She is the anti-Riley. She shows up and I'm like, I love you. And Riley shows yeah. up and I'm like, nice arms, dude. Go away. You know, <laughs> go um, away. <laughs> exactly. But the, all this stuff with Willow and Tara is so incredibly sweet. And of course, we have that moment with Tara, you know, throwing away, like sabotaging the demon finding yeah. spell, which is such a subtle moment. And we never talk about it again until season five. We never yeah. know why that was or what yeah. happened or why she screwed up the, the spell at that point until season five. I'm like, talk about a slow burn. Right? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting moment. And mm -hmm. such a such a, it's such an interesting moment for Tara, who we don't mm -hmm. know a whole lot about yeah. at this point. I mean, we know right. she's an exposed nerve. We know that she is like endlessly like she she loves Willow unconditionally, apparently, mm -hmm. because Willow can say, you know, no, I'm going to go hang out with my other friends and then show up. And Tara's like, right. oh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And Tara's like, like, it's fine. It's OK. Just come on in. It's fine. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But that takes that an amount. Moment. That takes an incredible amount of strength. Like, you know, you look at Tara and you think she's just raw vulnerability. She's just raw. She's fucking badass. Like, <laughs> open and, you know, and just willing to, to take whatever Willow has to give her without expectation or without, you know, like, fear or anything, especially considering, you know, the nature of the relationship. And this is Willow's first time with a woman. And all of that stuff, of course, we haven't yet acknowledged textually. Um, I, I mean, a little textually. Yeah, but do we but not need entirely to? Textually. <laughs> Like, really? You know what? Okay, I'm going to confess to my straight mm. bullshit. I didn't know until Willow came out to Buffy. 
that's how bad my straight bullshit has always been. I acknowledge it. I know I have straight bullshit, right? Um, I was much younger when I saw it the first time and I was like, oh, they're just friends doing like magical spells. That's nice. She's got a witch friend. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, now, of course, I look at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is happening. You know, (laughs) you're like, this is the fucking gayest shit that has ever gayed. It's so gay. I love it so much. I'll admit to my straight bullshit. I had a lot of it. I had just I just was blinded to a lot of the world and a lot of existence, you know, and understanding what was actually happening here versus what was textually, you know, put on the screen um, was not something that I'd picked up on at that time. I was much younger (laughs) in my defense. We're all stupid when we're younger. We all do stupid shit when we're young. So why does... Tara sabotage the demon finding spell. Is it because she's not? Because she thinks she's demon. She thinks she's part demon. Remember in family in season five when her family no. shows up? Oh, <laughs> I literally don't that remember would be that. Why. That would be why. In season five, Tara's family shows up and she has been told her whole life that she is part demon and that that's why she has magical abilities and her, her, oh. she basically belongs to an abusive cult family. Okay, so that's why she's, I mean, well, and that's part of where the vulnerability comes from with her then, because when you're, you know, emotionally abused, you're like, I'm just, I'm just going to be wide open because I have to take care of everyone around me. How did I not remember that? How did I not well, remember that at honestly, all? Honestly, it's 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 I mean, family is a really great episode in season five, but there's so much happening in season five. The families can sometimes be easy to forget. Um, and it comes it's just one episode and boom, we have uh, we have uh, Amy Adams shows up for yes. <laughs> to be cousin to be Tara's cousin. I, and, OK, that's weird. I remembered that Amy at whatever, whatever. Yeah. This is it's what okay. I get for. This is what I get for a delayed rewatch. That's that's all right. That's all right, baby. I'll remember anyway, the details and you pick out the symbolic stuff and I'll make me like the... restless again. We each have our roles in this. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good because if you're, you know, if you're me, if you're uh-huh. if you're on this journey with me and you've seen the entire thing but not super recently. Yes. It's kind of fun to be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Did wait, we what? establish that? that? Is that a yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's but I mean, we have this we have this quick moment with Tara. She sabotages yeah. the spell and then we just never, never address it again until we get to family. And um, and I think that's really like an interesting thing because they seed that here so that when you get yeah. to family, you're like, oh, Right. Um, I get it now. Now I know why Tara did that thing. But in the middle of this, like, truly, truly clunky ass, terrible episode, it's really easy to forget that she sabotaged the spell because that is hardly like the biggest thing that's happening in this episode. Yeah. There's so much other stuff going on. You got so much sweaty, whiny, Riley and weird shit. But okay, so Buffy. Let's talk about Buffy for a little bit. Yes. Um, It is her show. It is her show. Fair. I have. Okay. I love. I love Buffy. I love the yummy sushi pajamas thing. That's one of my favorite things, my favorite moments for her. It's just so incredibly cute. Um, I love when she looks at Riley and says, I'm going to find that demon and I'm going to kill it. And then you can ask me how happy all this death makes me. You know, Um, I'm glad that she slaps him for that because dude deserves to be slapped for that. Um, But then like, okay, we do this thing with Buffy that I'm noticing, I, I started noticing it in my last watch and now coming through it again, I'm seeing it more clearly like when it happens. But at the end of this episode, 
you know, she's just like, Walsh just tried to murder her. She's not sure about her safety. You know, Mm -hmm. um, her boyfriend is going through like all of this shit. And that's scary. He grabbed her friend and threw her to the floor. You know, he's grabbed Mm -hmm. Buffy. He's accused her. He held a gun on somebody like this is all stuff that for Buffy would be really upsetting. Right. And at the end of the episode, after everything she's been through, the only thing she can think about is Riley and Riley's well-being. He has nothing to hold on to. Well, you know what? He can hold on to those fucking arms for a little bit. Buffy, let's talk about you. Like, so we do this thing with Buffy where we, I think, frequently erase her trauma. When Angel bit her, I mean, she made Angel bite her. But when Angel bit her, you know, and she was in the hospital, she what was her concern? Is he okay? You know, like there's never a concern for Buffy about Buffy and about what Buffy's been through when she was assaulted by that guy in Go Fish, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's strong. And yeah, she could take care of herself. But it's still fucking assault. I don't care if you have a martial arts degree or slayer strength. When somebody assaults you, it's fucking traumatizing. Just a little bit. Maybe when you're a teenager, he's an idiot and you can beat the snot out of him. But still, you know, um, it's still a scary and like no concern about Buffy's response to that. How many times has Buffy been, you know, beaten and you know and she's died already once you know I mean like she's but we we constantly erase her trauma in this episode where like what happens to her doesn't matter but here's Riley and he's in withdrawal and he's so sad because he doesn't understand the world you know um so we're so sad for him but like literally this woman just tried to kill Buffy you know like somebody that she didn't know very long but she trusted you know yeah but everyone tries to kill Buffy. Like that's this is her... true. This is kind of like a daily experience for her. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, like everything that Riley did, the things that Riley said to her, like that any of this is upsetting to her is something we never consider. So like no matter what Buffy's been through, we typically erase it in in favor of looking at what what suffering you know, like the men yeah. are going through or the, her right. romantic interest is going through or right. even, you know, like other characters are going through. Like, I don't know, like, but and the one time that we didn't erase Buffy's trauma right after becoming she runs away to Los Angeles. She lives mm-hmm. as a waitress for a few years and she comes back. So the show doesn't erase her trauma. The show deals with her trauma in that circumstance. She comes back and everybody's pissed off about yeah. why she wasn't there for them. Right. About how she upset them, you know? Yeah. Never mind uh, that she has to go to literal hell. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, so I and I understand, like, there was a lot of stuff that they didn't know about what Buffy had been through, that they didn't know the whole story and everything. Um, But it's just traumatic in and of itself. Right. That's traumatic. Not having anyone that you can say, this is what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to I need to process it. And that's Mm -hmm. I mean. Is it is it Willow who says in this episode, you know, Buffy's reflecting on Riley was supposed to be the normal one. You right. know, Riley was supposed mm-hmm. to be this guy who was, you know, everything who was representative of everything that mm-hmm. she felt like she couldn't access being the slayer. Right. You know, all mm-hmm. of this normal, this normal life, this normal, mm-hmm. you know, typical college girl existence. And that all falls to pieces. And Willow says something to the effect of you know, your life just defies 
yeah. you know, the average, or like basically tells her like you, you're extraordinary. Normalcy. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you're extraordinary. Deal with it, which is yeah. kind of the theme of the entire show. You're right. extraordinary. Deal with it um, in a way. But yeah, it doesn't. It's like it's like we put that we put her any sadness or fear or uncertainty that she's feeling gets put on the back burner when there's a man in pain. Right. Right. And because she's extraordinary. And that's the thing, like because she's extraordinary, it's it's like people expect her to be super strong in every way all the time and not need to have that you know, that processing of what has happened to her. Because, yes, she's physically, you know, she's the slayer. She's got incredible physical abilities. But slayer needs a therapist. Like, this <laughs> shit is real. You know, not to mention the fact that, like, you know that your your shelf life is greatly diminished. Your expiration date, yeah. you know, is coming up pretty fast because eventually something's going to get you. She's already died once at 16 and then said, let's go dance, you know. Yeah. Um, Like, she is supposed to be able to emotionally handle everything on herself, and she only, only gets upset, really, when she's worried about somebody else, you know, when she's thinking about somebody else. And it also, and some of that, I don't know, like, it's part of her character, it's part of how she's built, you know, that she thinks Mm -hmm. of other people first. Um, But some of it is also kind of like this expectation I think that a lot of times generally falls to women that they are the yep. caretakers, they are the nurturers, they are supposed to be there for other people. And if they take time out to deal with their own fallout, that somehow that is um, that is a weakness, that is not strength, mm-hmm. you know, or that um, it's neglectful or that selfish. If, yeah, yeah. That I mean, and that was the way that was the way the Scoobies spun it when Buffy, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Buffy had to had to get some real space between yeah. herself and what, you know, what she had experienced. And she yeah. came back and everybody's like, how dare you leave yeah. us? Exactly. And, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, and that is a real that is a real pressure that is put on women, mm-hmm. especially. I yeah. mean, it's put on lots of different kinds of people from lots of different yeah um you know lots of different experiences but i think that that is something that is a standard to which we as a society hold women that right your mm-hmm. pain doesn't matter think about mm-hmm. you know think about what everyone else is going through think about him think about his reputation right. think right. about you know whatever <laughs> yeah it's 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 always that and so there's something there's something in that that i think is part of buffy's character but there's also something in that that i think is part of the the um kind of the presumption that writers come into this with you know that the right this is how writers you, you write the world the way that you see it and you know a woman who's going through all this stuff somehow is supposed to be about other people um, and I don't know, like, I, I'd, I'd have to do some analysis of like male superheroes and the way that we deal with them. But but I think it's different. I think there's something different in what we expect from women. I mean, clearly what we expect from, you know, women or, oh, you yeah. know, female identifying and, people. And, yeah, um, women and femmes and, mm-hmm. you know, queer people and non-binary mm-hmm. people. It's like, yes, you're supposed to do everyone else's 
you know, caretaking for them. Yeah, emotional um, labor, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's not an expectation of generally of men. Um, so I find that kind of interesting. I don't know. I think we're going to see a few instances of um, of erasing Buffy's trauma. And this isn't even the worst one. It's just it just kind of stood out to me that at the end of everything that she's been through, um, and realizing that the, you know, that the man that she's with, I mean, there's a point in this where she thinks that he might be in on it, that he might have yeah. been trying to kill her. And like, yeah. that's something that needs to be processed. I mean, she's been through that before. So is that not an Angelus trigger? I would think it would be. And yet nothing. We've erased that trauma. And having Angelus, you know, having the man you love turn into a monster in front of your eyes, I can tell you, is pretty fucking triggering. Uh, that's going to sit with you for a while, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, that's something that... I, I think we had an opportunity to kind of address here and yet nothing. What we're worried about is Riley and his withdrawal symptoms and where is he and he has nothing to hold on to. Well, you know yeah. what? Let's talk about you for a minute, Buffy. You know, um, <laughs> we needed a long I mean, we needed a longer, more nuanced arc for both Buffy and Riley. In this. Yes. Yes. We needed. And I mean. I love Mark Blucas. I think Mark yeah. Blucas does a great job. Mm-hmm. I do not think Mark Blucas has the acting chops that Sarah mm-hmm. Michelle Geller has. Okay, because... and that, that said, few people do. Yes. Few people yeah. could go toe-to-toe with Sarah Michelle Geller. That's a, that's, yes. a, that's a high bar. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, if you wanted to do, like, I've talked before about the kind, the parallels between Buffy and Riley and, you know, the Scoobies and the initiative. And if you wanted to do a story about, you know, if you wanted to create this like male partner for Buffy, who is more or less her equal in the same way that Faith was her Mm -hmm. equal, Mm -hmm. I could see doing a longer, more drawn out story where he has to grapple with all of the implications of everything that's going on around him and, Mm -hmm. you know, realizing that there's this corruption and he's been used and all of these things, but you would have to, that's a much longer story than they want to do with Riley. Right. And, and it's, it requires... it's much more interesting than yeah. what they've been doing oh, with yeah. Riley. Yeah. You know, and if Riley had had some questions, you know, if he had been suspicious, if, if, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just, there's just something about it that just, and it's, I really think it comes down to the big problem with Riley all the way through has been a complete lack of vulnerability. He's just there to be pretty and, you know, quote unquote normal and then turn and then suddenly be something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and Buffy being perfectly okay with that. I think that's not realistic considering what she went through with Angelus. The idea that the man that she loves is trying to kill her or maybe trying to kill her. You know, I mean, that's Or is that's at least tough. connected to the right. entity and that's trying to kill her. And she doesn't know. She yeah. doesn't know at this point. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's something that just sticks with me. We'll be definitely talking about Buffy and trauma erasure as we go. Um, but speaking of traumatic, there's also Forrest, right? And his oh, trauma of loving. Forrest oh. has more vulnerability because he so desperately is in love with Riley, another thing we're not textually acknowledging, and it's I don't know so if they intended it to be there, though. but it is so clear. Um, you know, but his whole idea that like Buffy kept asking questions. First of all, that's not your problem with her, Forrest. Let's just admit that. Um, and that because she was asking questions, uh, you know, if Walsh tried to kill Buffy, maybe Buffy needed killing. 
are you harsh are you serious we're supposed to like you know this guy is riley's best friend like what the fuck is that so he's clearly in love with riley clearly jealous and that's no excuse for being a dick you know um he's just a petulant little child in this thing and it's ugh, it's just awful. <laughs> i feel it's funny like he is He's so whiny and he's so entitled and he's such yeah. a grump even before yeah. he starts going through withdrawal. Yeah. But I feel bad for Forrest. Like Aww. I I just you I have think such not, a sweetheart. I'm not because he's especially lovable, but because mm-hmm. I don't think he's having any fun. Oh, he's not like, having any it's fun. It's not fun to be Forrest. I don't think so. And I, I just I so. I feel bad for him. But but yeah. If she wanted to kill Buffy, maybe Buffy needed. Whoa! Like what? 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 I I realize that you're not getting your you know yeah. daily dose of whatever, but yikes! But still, but that's <laughs> like, but it's not inconsistent with Forrest last week when he was being dosed. Like you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 not great. It's not great. Um, okay, so one thing though that we haven't talked about at all because it really doesn't matter in this episode, but it's still kind of fun is Spike. Better hand it to you, Goldilocks. You do have bleeding, tragic taste in men. I got a cousin married to a regurgitating Frovelops demon. It's got better instincts than you. I'm gonna unpack that line. <laughs> I gotta unpack that line. You know, <laughs> you know my my oh, um, beef with that yeah? concept. But I'm not sure. Have have I unpacked it here? I don't think I have. I don't think so. You've unpacked it with me privately, but I really want everyone okay. else to hear it. I Now, I understand that this is coming from Spike. Spike is evil. This is a great evil line for Spike. Yes. And on and on and on. I'm not... It is. I take... <laughs> I take no umbrage with Spike using this line. I love this line. I love Spike right. and everything he stands for um, on the show as a fictional being. Anyway. Right. The idea that when something goes wrong in a woman's relationships, that it's because Mm -hmm. she has terrible taste in men is some Mm -hmm. of the most misogynistic bullshit I think I have Mm -hmm. ever heard. Um, (laughs) And I'm fucking serious. And Lonnie is laughing because I take her to task about this. All the yes, time. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And you know what? You're right. It's the You're right. Most I completely acknowledge. Yes, because I say that about myself all the time that I have terrible taste in men. And I'm like, that is victim blamey bullshit. But also, yes. Also, okay, it's a question of taste, right? You guys know how I mm-hmm. feel about taste shaming and how, like, that's not mm-hmm. ever okay. And the culture creates taste the culture tells us what is desirable and what is not so if a woman is following the taste of the culture that has been dictated to her and of course Mm -hmm. i'm speaking in the binary again about heterosexual relationships i know i know i know i know i know right 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 well because this this particular brand of misogyny comes straight from patriarchy and 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 patriarchy generally tends to ignore any relationships that are not heteronormative so that's not your fault (laughs) (laughs) what the page the heteronormativity and the patriarchy is not my fault i was not aware they 
skip down the lane singing songs hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Skipping through the daisies singing tra-la-la. Exactly. So you, yes. you lose... As as a woman in this this false dichotomy mm-hmm. of good taste right. in men versus bad taste in men, a woman with good taste in men is a woman who buys into the cis heteropatriarchal idea of what a quote unquote real man is, mm-hmm. and we all know how um, pervasive and effective toxic masculinity is. In our culture. So you're damned Mm -hmm. if you do and damned if you don't. And the idea that the relationship went sour or something, you know, something got fucked up at some point. That it's my fault for having bad taste in It's your fault. Right. And did you see what you were wearing? I mean, really? Exactly. (laughs) No, it's true. And I have to say that while I do joke around a lot about how I have terrible taste in men, my first husband is one of the loveliest people on the planet. I'm just going to say that we're still really good friends. I absolutely love him to pieces. He is my kid's father and just a wonderful human being. So like... My taste in men is not the problem. You've pointed this out to me privately. I really appreciate you talking about it on the podcast because I think that everybody needs to hear that shit. Yeah. Because it was so ingrained that I was like, no, it's my fault. If things don't work out, it's because I have bad taste in men. And it's Well, not. and that's uh, that, again, you know, speaking to this idea of like what the expectations of mm-hmm. women are, um, you know, as as personified in Buffy Summers. We are, it's all of the responsibility falls to the woman. God, if something is is difficult or something is less mm-hmm. than, I mean, how pervasive is the idea that if, for example, your husband is unhappy, that it is your mm-hmm. job to fix that as a wife? Right. That's mm-hmm. everywhere. It's not his job. Yeah. I mean, it is. It absolutely is his job to go out and, you know, (laughs) get his therapy and, like, work on himself and his own issues. But culturally, Mm -hmm. culturally, it is women's work to do that kind of Mm -hmm. emotional caretaking. And it's it it, when you when you see the ways that this weasels its way into every corner Mm -hmm. of of our lives, it's just it's. Man, <laughs> we got it. It's it's cultural and it's taught from the time that yeah. we're little. If he pulls your pigtails, it means he likes you. Doesn't matter. He's still pulling my fucking yeah. hair, right? Like if he likes the reason why really isn't important. It's still bullshit behavior, you know. But now it's because of me. It's because he likes me. And there's that too. There's if he behaves badly because he loves yep. you, then then that somehow makes it okay. Yep. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit pulled into that. Um, absolutely. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that with everybody um, <laughs> because it was definitely a very helpful thing for me to hear. It is it is a really helpful thing when a good friend sits you down and says, hey, your head is full of bullshit. Let me clear some of that out for well, you. And it was, you know, and um, it's, it's nice. You're following if your head is full of the bullshit that you were mm-hmm. fed and taught that like this will keep you safe. Right. You know, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. yes, of course, of course, your head is full of this bullshit. Of course, all of our heads are full of right. bullshit about how to behave and how to be good and how to keep mm-hmm. ourselves safe. And mm-hmm. but if it if it comes down from on high, from mm-hmm. and from an authority that seeks to control 
and manipulate. If if the patriarchy's Doctor Who's at this putting it in your goddamn food oh metaphorically throughout right? your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Like I get it. Oh man. I know it's bullshit. I'm not blaming myself for it because it's bullshit I was raised with, you know. And we all were, yep. you know, but like being able to see that is very helpful. So thank you, Noel. <laughs> that was a very helpful insight that you have been giving me for quite some time now, and I've appreciated it. Thank you. Um all right, so back to goodbye, Iowa. Uh Frank and Adam. Um oh. all right. Okay, like, fair enough, Adam is typically regarded as, like, the worst big bad of all of Buffy's big bads. But Jesus, like, this little exposition dump he takes there at the end, where he's just wandering there and just talking and nobody's picking up, I don't know, a trank gun or trying to throw water on him so he electrocutes because he's (laughs) 90% electrical parts and metal. Um, Everybody's just sitting there listening to him, like, okay. And I mean, I know there are reasons for that, like, they've got these chips in them that are that prevent them from doing certain things or whatever like and we're going to address that later on in the season um but it's just bad it's just bad writing the doctor who's its expositional dump in the middle of the hallway is also just bad writing um i kind of love i i kind of love dr creepy and dr exposition in the hallway just being like i hope no one follows me into the records room you know when of course which is down here and two doors on the right and will be unlocked yes exactly Um, they've been getting drugs in their food and now they're going through withdrawal and we're like okay yeah (laughs) and please let me explain to you who is also part of the program (laughs) shit that you already know (laughs) as you know mary yeah it's it's just it's so so bad but frank and adam is you know like he comes out he sees this kid also killing the kids super fucking dark. dark did we need to do that i mean that was pretty fucking terrible um He's, you know, this half monster, half man, half uh, toaster, you know, <laughs> how is he faster than the initiative? He got away because he's so fast and so quiet, clunking through the world in half a ton of metal. With a literal leg brace. The guy easily brace. weighs 450 pounds. With a little he has a leg, leg brace. brace on. Now, I mean. Right. He's what? faster and lighter on his feet and smarter. Smarter? How is he smarter than the people who made it because he has a zip drive in his chest? If he was hooked up to Wi-Fi, if he was like, you know, good Janet or something, then maybe I could I could see how he has all of human knowledge. But he's just eating these discs one by one. Riley Finn, let's see what's up with you. And where is he keeping them? I guess in all the that's that's where cargo pants are really, you know, valuable. Sure. So Maggie filled his pants with with zip, with zip drives full of information that he can just absorb in a minute. Um, and he's just not a great big bad. Like he's not the one who created the conflict. He literally was born yesterday. Like he doesn't have a clear goal. Um, didn't exist until this episode at the end of last episode. Um, it's just such a weird Maggie Walsh was a good antagonist, you know, um, she was interesting as a big bad for the season running this whole thing. Why did we kill Maggie Walsh? I mean, yeah, I hated her, <laughs> but I respected her. But now we've got this weird green demon dude 
you know, the Franken demon, and he's just clomping all over town. A, a metal detector will help you find him just fine. And yeah, I know they're like, you know, what we find out later is that they've got like, you know, um, some kind of mind control bullshit going on, um, preventing them from, I guess, capturing him or whatever they were programmed to do. But his whole like existential angst with the kid, I know what I am. I do not know who I am. And like, which interesting philosophical I, question, right? Because, yeah, well, I'm, I'm all here for know, identity yeah, stories. Yeah, like who you know? is for identity and what is like the role or the attribute yes. of a person. But, Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care. <laughs> like I really yeah. don't. He's just not that scary. He doesn't seem that smart. No. You know, no, he really doesn't. He doesn't I feel like they're going for a kind of Frankenstein's monster meets Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator and it I doesn't guess. work yeah. for me at all. No. At all at all. I don't but, you know, the thing is, like, part of this guy, part of this dude, at least, was once human. You know, like, the, the right upper quadrant of his face was once <laughs> some human. Some part of his right? face was a human being at some, some point. Some part of his face was once oh human, right? Um, so, I mean, the thing is, like, having having the human part of him at war with the demon part of him could have been kind of an interesting thing. If we, again, vulnerability, <laughs> vulnerability... Even in your bag, even in your big bad, even in your antagonist, we see vulnerability with Glory, yes. you know, in season five, because she's desperately wants to get back to a place where she knows she belongs. She has these horrible, debilitating headaches. Best big bad. You know, she's bad. Best big bad. Right. I will she's go a, on record. I, I love think so Glory. I, I love Glory, too. A lot of people don't, and I get it, but I love Glory. Um but the thing is with Adam is that here you have this 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 being like the thing with actual Frankenstein's monster, right, is that he wants to know who he is and what he is. And he's he is actually like yearning for a sense of identity. And we get this from Frank and Adam textually, but we don't get a sense of him having any sense of like, who was the guy who became Frank and Adam? Like the the part of that is still in him. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you would, would presume. Think. So he's he's made his brain is probably still that. And if he had any memories, if he was. If he was suddenly like out of control, like, you know, Lenny and of Mice and Men, right, that just wanted to love things but ended up crushing them. Like, what if he saw this little boy and he was like, I had a little boy. I had a little boy like you. Right. And this kid is crushed as opposed to mutilated like hugged too hard like that what he's searching for is his identity and he is creating disaster all around him at that time like that could be an interesting antagonist that could be an interesting big bad something that just wakes up and is like i'd like to skewer you you know is not that interesting it's not engaging and having sympathy for our our antagonist in a certain way like i think you know we had that first spike in season two um faith in season three you know and the mayor in season three they had vulnerability they had love for each other you know those things make a great antagonist a great big bad and it's something that we're just like the heart of everything the heart of riley is missing the heart of frank and adam is missing um all of this stuff is just is just missing so we're telling like the surface level 
functional narrative without having the reason why we want that surface level functional narrative so that it can carry this deeper meaning, this deeper resonance, this emotional space that we can explore. And in, a, in an entire season that is dancing with all of these wonderful identity stories, we've got the Spike one. I went through that whole thing when we did Doomed, you know. Um, we've got Giles, you know, g- gradually morphing into sweater Giles <laughs> until he is actually wearing sweater dresses. Like, it's it's so fun to see all of that. And, and we have all these wonderful spaces for these identity questions. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I would love to see them doing with, with Adam. But you've got to give him something. There's got to be something that he's in search of, like who he was before. Trying to get back, imagine waking up as a monster and trying to get back to who you were before and finding that that will never happen and then going into a wild, hot rage because you didn't ask for this shit. You know, Um, all of that could be wonderfully done here. And if Maggie is there as the big bad that created him, the mother that is controlling him, you know, then you've got something really interesting and crunchy. But she turns bad and dies within like 15 seconds. And we don't get a chance to process that. We don't get a chance for Riley to face her and question her. She's the one that he actually cares about and is emotionally connected to. That could have been really interesting. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so all of this, all of these choices, I feel like there's there's something that really could have been here. You know, there's something really wonderful that could have been, and it just kind of fails. Yeah, he's just not that interesting. <laughs> he's not. He's really not. But, you know, another missed opportunity, though, um, here, as long as we're talking about missed opportunities, is Anya, right? Oh, my God. I love Anya. Like, I love Anya. And part of it is because I think the reason why the writers love her and why they treat her as a comedy mule, because she can carry that shit. Like, Emma Caulfield has the comic timing of, like, I've never seen anything like this before. Like, she is amazing. And, you know, but we reduce her. Here she is. She is this, you know, vengeance demon who has been human. You know, we know now at this point in the run, we don't know that she was ever human. We just know she was a vengeance demon, right? And we guess I can presume that she was taken from human because De Hoffren, we saw De Hoffren offer Willow and something right. blue the opportunity to become what, what Anya was. So we can presume that she was human at some point. Then she was a demon for like a thousand years you know and and tormented bad men that whole time right um and then is made human again that is such rich ground and to have her fall in love after all of that after everything she's seen and she falls in love in this very innocent flat i'm just a girl in love kind of thing right (laughs) Uh And yet, like when we first had her, when we had her in Doppelgangland, when we had her in I'm 1120 years old, just give me a beer. Like that is the Anya that we should have gotten all the way through. But then she falls in love with Xander and suddenly she's like, I'm just a girl. I don't know. You know, um, her whole like you can't have Xander thing is cute and funny because Emma Caulfield can deliver anything. She could deliver babies. This woman is amazing. <laughs> like what she can do is incredible. Um, And I don't blame them. I honestly don't blame them that much for making her a comedy mule because Jesus, this woman can do anything, but she can do anything. She can also do dramatic stuff. As we see, we've seen her before she and Xander got together and how great and powerful and strong and knowledgeable she was. And then we kind of reduce her down because she's with 
a boy or whatever. And she becomes all about, you can't have Xander, you know? Um, And it just feels like how wonderful would it have been for her to find herself falling in love with Xander after everything she's seen and after everything she's been through and realize that the the when she looked at all these women and were like yeah this guy's an asshole and how the hell did you get into that in the first place and then here she is falling in love what a wonderful crunchy space for an internal conflict for her that instead of him being resistant about her you reverse that where he's chasing her which he should because she's Anya adorable. Come and on. she's resistant to that because of everything she's seen and everything she's been through. And then going down this road with him and having him, you know, leave her at the altar. Right. Because as soon as she does that, as soon as they break up in season six in Hell's Bells, boom, we've got mm-hmm. Anya back. We've got like rich, layered, smart, knowledgeable Anya back, you know, Um so I don't know, like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, it's funny. Emma Caulfield delivers the fuck out of it. She's amazing and she's hilarious. But God, what a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yep. It's always such a bummer when the story that the writers want to tell is not necessarily the story that you want to hear. <laughs> like, Well, it's just, it's such an opportunity yeah. and it's just missed. And like, I get it. She is funny. So you can give her anything and she will make it work. Like it's fantastic. Um, but you know, Xander talking down to her, yeah. sell bars, make Ugh. money, buy Anya nice things, you know, um, like that kind of shit that she would put up with any of that shit from Xander is i don't know it doesn't it doesn't work for me because there's so much opportunity in a millennium as a vengeance demon getting you know revenge on men (laughs) for being fucking terrible and then when this man is terrible to her she doesn't have a reaction she it's like she learned nothing from all that time um and i would think that somebody who had seen what she had seen had seen the things that men had done you know, would be like, yeah, I'm not falling in love with a man. Fuck that noise. You know, I mean, like there could be there could be some real fun stuff happening here in this space with them. And Xander, Xander this season is so much better overall. The weird trying to kiss Buffy in the hallway (laughs) at the initiative is weird and whatever, and given the history there, ugh, you know, it's something I'd like, we're not done with this yet. Can we be done with this? And it doesn't seem in this moment like he is actually trying, you know, to to get something that he wants from Buffy, which is what it always was before when it was weird between them. It, it's just like a weird moment. But I don't know, like there's so much, I think, with Xander and with Anya that could have been so much better and yet just falls into this very very flat jokey space yeah it's really it's it's unfortunate although i do love (laughs) the little coda to that bit at the initiative buffy says this is the initiative xander military guys and scientists do not make out with each other and xander says well maybe that's what's wrong with the world ever think about that and and i'm like yes i do think about that all the time Right. Makeouts for everyone. I mean, consensually, right. of course. But oh, God. come on. I mean, that's adorable. And Xander, I feel like, is getting 
incrementally better. Yeah, I think he is. But I think he is. I like him so much more. Like from season four on, I like him so much more. And there's except for the way he treats Anya, I pretty much love him. There are a couple of exceptions, a couple of moments that are not great for Xander. Um, but yeah, it's just I don't know. It's, it's, again, it's another disappointment. It's like we had so like putting Xander through this whole identity crisis and having that make him into a better man. You know, I really like mm-hmm. that. But he's not, we're not really seeing him that much in an identity crisis. We don't really get his identity crisis until, you know, the replacement in season five, you know, when he finally starts to to look at his life and decide that it's not good enough, you know? But, I mean, and again, yeah. like he's, he is, Nick Brendan is excellent. So when he gets these lines, like, I totally yeah, get it now. So Can great. I have sex with Riley too? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. I'm like, I don't. I don't love this whole, like, the initiative is sex thing, but that line is so funny coming from Xander, and he delivers it so beautifully. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, so, so much, so, so much, so many missed opportunities in this episode. Yeah. Especially. I I know. I, I know. In this episode, especially, but, like, overall with these characters, just so much could have been done. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) So disappointing. All right. So, Noelle, what are you wearing? So, everything about the Scoobies camping out in the basement is delightful. (laughs) Delightful. But, I mean, yummy sushi pajamas on Buffy. I know. It's just, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Such a great little Mm -hmm. coda to that scene. Although, you know, I have to say, I don't think yummy sushi pajamas make her plan any less any commanding less or yes. amazing like that's that is part right. of what makes Buffy so wonderful she's she can patrol mm-hmm. in a halter top she can lead yes, the exactly. you know <laughs> she can lead the troops in her sushi pajamas yeah. it's cool yes. this is what we do it you know cool. you go hunt, hunt some vampire you know the overlords in your prom dress and then Exactly. Go to the dance. Like this is what this is what Buffy does, and I just, I just love it. But everything, yes. everything that everyone is wearing in that scene is just mm-hmm. delightful. So Buffy, yes. I mean Buffy wins it with her sushi pajamas, which yeah. I really want now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Anya, <laughs> Anya is wearing Xander's t-shirt, which is such a Aww. sweet little detail. I just, it I is. love stuff like that. I love it when props or costume pieces come back and they're not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, we've right. seen that shirt it's just before there. on Xander. Yeah. You know, Anya's wearing it and that's adorable. Um, and then mm-hmm. Xander's t-shirt that says, I heart yes. dirt over and over again. I heart dirt. What is that? <laughs> like, I noticed that and I was like, I don't, I mean, it's cute. Like, it's cute. It's funny. It's, it's you know, random. Like, I, and I guess maybe that's the, the appeal of it is how incredibly random it is. But, like, I thought maybe that was, like, a a band or something that I didn't know. Maybe. Or there was some kind of cultural reference, some cultural meme going on there. That's entirely no possible. But it's cute. I mean, I remember in the early aughts those T-shirts with mm-hmm. a repeated line phrase, phrase right. mm-hmm. on it being yeah. a thing for, like, a minute. But... Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't tell you what I don't know. I just it's delightful. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Right. I love it, it so, so much. It is so cute. 
All right, do we have a girl power moment? I don't of the week? know. Do you want me to skip do over? Do we that? have a girl power moment of the week? Oh, not with a girl power bit. I mean, I want to say like it's Buffy being all like concerned for everybody else, but also, come on, mm-hmm. Buffy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, right. Come on. Like, really? Yeah. Well, I I like the moment where Buffy looks at Riley and says, yeah, I'm going to go kill this thing. And then you can ask me how happy all this death makes me. Like, I like when she pushes back on his bullshit, you know? Um, so I, I do like that. I mean, you know, generally all things Buffy are girl power she's moments. She's girl powery. I mean. <laughs> she's pretty girl yeah. powery. Yeah. yeah. So so I think that yeah. there's that. All right. What's your favorite part? <laughs> My favorite part is the girls watching cartoons Aww. in the basement. I love the Anya sandwich on Willow and Buffy bread. Right? I love it so much. <laughs> it just speaks volumes. It is <laughs> really so, sweet. It's so cute. It is incredibly sweet. So cute. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite part? Um, you know, we get very little spike in this episode, but you know that that two thumb if you're going to kill yes. her, it gives her the two it gives the two thumbs up and that has of course become imminently gifable throughout the the world of social media and is used in a million different contexts all the time. Um it is it is very cute. And so it was fun to see it cuz I'm like, "Oh, that's where that gift comes from." <laughs> and his face. So it's something that His face. Oh, I know. I mean, so cute. Yeah. So, yeah, Goodbye, Iowa isn't great, but it is the gift that keeps on gifting, I guess, is what you call it. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, that's oh, it hurt to say that. Ow. OK. Anyway, <laughs> it's like something my dad would have said. <laughs> hey, dad jokes for everyone. <laughs> dad jokes for everyone. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Noelle Allowed, and the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our December producers, Shelly, Abigail, Kristen, Noelle, Jonathan, Alyssa, Alice, Erica, Sarah, Kevin, and Heather. And this week's special message for our power producers. I hope you don't think that I just come over here for the sex and everything. I mean, I really like just talking and hanging out with you and stuff. Spells. I mean spells. Did I say sex? (laughs) How random is that? To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or take an exposition dump in the hallway. Everybody's doing it these days. We will be back next time with this year's girl and who are you? The 15th and 16th episodes of season four. And we get us a little faith and I am so excited. (laughs) Until then, I don't generally like to kill humans, but I've learned that it pays to be flexible in life. 